Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 14 is where we're going to begin momentarily. We'll be kind of in this territory of the Old Testament for the duration of our study together this evening. So let's be looking together in the Bible in Numbers chapter 14. It has been a hot, hot summer day here in south central Kentucky. But I hope that you have been able to enjoy the afternoon. It's been a beautiful day nonetheless. And even with all the heat and humidity, the Lord has blessed us in a good way. And I'm very thankful that as the day is drawing to a close now, that you have chosen to be involved in God's things once again. That's certainly encouraging to me. And I trust that the things that we'll talk about this evening will be of encouragement to you. In fact, I'd like to begin this evening, not in my traditional way by reading a passage, but I actually want to direct your attention to the screen, if you will, and see if you can help me out just a little bit here. Does anybody recognize these names, all of these weird names, these names like Shemua, Shaphat, Egal, Gadiel, Paltai, Geuel, well, I know I'm messing these names up. Gadai, Amiel, Sether, Nabi, Hosea. Does anybody have any idea who those 11 guys are? I think if I offered a cash reward for who can correctly name these 11 people and who they are, I'm going to guess that probably that cash will be safe and secure in my pocket for the foreseeable future. While you look at that list of names there, and it might look like the latest character list from the latest Star Wars movie, I assure you it is not. These are actually Bible names. And in fact, I think you'll know exactly who they are as soon as I add one name to that list. Are you ready for it? Caleb. Caleb. Now I'm seeing, even though I can't see many of your faces, I can see light bulbs going off. You know who these 12 guys are now, don't you? This is the list of the 12 spies who were sent in to spy out the land of Canaan. And if you're wondering, Josh, well, where's Joshua on that list? Well, his name originally was Hosea before Moses changed it to Joshua. Now, we tend to think of Joshua and Caleb as this dynamic duo, and they certainly were. And maybe we kind of tend to elevate Joshua kind of to a higher level of importance in our minds as kind of being way more prominent and he's the more important of that tandem. I mean, after all, Joshua is the one who becomes the, the successor as the leader in Israel. Joshua is the one who's going to lead the people into the promised land. Joshua is the one who makes that famous speech about as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And make no mistake about it, Joshua is a good man of God, a great man of God. I'm kind of partial to him myself for obvious reasons. But this evening, I'm going to suggest to you that just as Caleb's name caught our attention when we added it to that list, there was something about Caleb that caught the Lord's attention. And it led to the Lord making one of the most amazing statements about anyone in all of the Old Testament. Do you have Numbers 14 queued up? Look with me, if you will, in verse 24. In Numbers 14 and in verse 24, the Bible says there, this is God speaking, and God says, My servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. What a remarkable statement about Caleb here that he has a different 
Spirit. That expression is not said of anyone else in all of Scripture, not even Joshua. And I'm going to tell you this evening that I want to know more about that. I am interested in that. You think about all the things that God could have said. God could have said, because He's been faithful... God could have said, because he's been obedient to me, and those certainly would have been true statements of Caleb. Instead, there was something about Caleb that just stood out. Something that caused God to take special note of him and to single him out. God says, that guy, that guy is different. Wouldn't you like the Lord to say that same thing about you? What kind of things does a person do that ends up catching God's attention and cause God to say, hmm, that right there, that man, that woman, that young man, that young woman, they have a different spirit. This evening, I do want to spend just a few minutes looking at the life of Caleb. And I want to see what it was that caused him to just kind of stand apart from the rest. I want to look tonight at three specific episodes in Caleb's life where he demonstrated that different spirit and what it is that we can learn from this guy who I think is rather an unsung hero. And in fact, we ought to probably ought to move him up the pecking order of great heroes of the Bible. Because I'm going to tell you that if you and I, if we can possess these same qualities, the kind of things that made Caleb so unique and so distinctive, then perhaps we can receive the very same commendation from the Lord and someday we can be brought into that land of inheritance, our promised land. You ready for that? Three things that contributed to Caleb having a different spirit. And that begins, if you'll just maybe flip a page back to Numbers chapter 13. Let's just start right there. As we think for a moment about this story with the spies and this mission that they were sent on. Because after listing all of the names of these men, these just interminably impossible to pronounce names that are given in verses 1 through 16, we are then told in verse 17, in verse 17 of Numbers 13, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring back some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Verse 21 now. So they went up, and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Lebo Hamoth. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshkol. And they cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and some figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. Now I'm going to tell you, I am afraid that we don't look and talk nearly enough about the front side of the spy mission. We talk a lot about the back half of that and we'll get to that in just a second. But I want us to think about the front half of this. Because what Caleb and in fact what all of these other 11 guys are doing is they are demonstrating some incredibly tough and difficult and dangerous work. 
You know, if you were to trace out all of those places, all of those, you know, hard to pronounce uh, cities and locations that are listed there, if you were to trace all of that out on a map, what you would find is you'd find that these guys walked hundreds upon hundreds of miles. And I want you to please notice as well how long they were doing that for. They were doing that for 40 days. And they were doing that for 40 days behind enemy lines. These guys did not just you know, run over there real quick and just kind of peek over the fence of Canaan and then go running back to the campsite. That's not how that worked. No. No, they went on to foreign soil with their lives constantly being at risk for nearly a month and a half. This is, if I'm not painting the picture well enough, maybe this analogy will, this is SEAL Team 6 kind of stuff. These 12 guys are elite soldiers. They are doing challenging work and Caleb, Caleb is willing to do that. And that is the very first thing that I believe we notice about Caleb in the Bible is his willingness to do the tough stuff in his service unto God. And that really does need to be emphasized for us today. Because all too often, and I know a lot of people like this, who are willing to serve God whenever it's easy, whenever it's convenient, whenever it's comfortable, but as soon as they are maybe pushed a little bit outside of their comfort zone, as soon as they need to gather their courage together, as soon as they need to take some kind of a risk for the Lord, eh, I don't really know about all of this. You know, we live in a time where our society wants to make things as easy as possible for folks. So we design more apps and we build more express lanes and we hire more customer service reps and we institute more government programs and we do all of that. All of that is dedicated to making life easier and easier. And some of that, some of that's good. I'm not ragging on that or saying that that's inherently bad. But I'm going to tell you, when that convenient sort of mentality, when that begins to affect our spirituality, when it ends up making us lazy in our service to God, the kind of laziness where I can't even get off of the couch or out of my bed to come to church, that's a problem. That's a real problem. Can I illustrate that for you this way? This guy here, this guy's name is Jake Weidman. And he is an international pen master. What he is crafting there at the bottom, the picture at the bottom, is actually his certificate that as a pen master, you have to draw yourself. They don't give you a certificate. No, you draw and craft your own. He is the youngest pen master in the whole world. In fact, he is one of only 12. In fact, here is some of his other work that he has done, some of it of a religious nature. The one there in the center is a picture of Jesus. He's titled it, The Suffering Servant in a Single Stroke. That is, he drew that picture of Jesus with one touch of the pen and never lifted it off of the paper. There's a picture there that he drew of the lyrics of the song, It Is Well With My Soul, and kind of the imagery there of the ship. And if you know the background of that song, you know why that's appropriate. There's a beautiful kind of calligraphy style picture there of the song, Great Is Thy Faithfulness, and the lyrics of that. Jake Weidman drew all of that by hand. All of that shading, all of the coloring, 
All of that painstaking detail, he did all of that by hand. Penmasters specialize in the ancient craft of penmanship, and that is hard work. And this is what Jake said when he was interviewed about that difficult, painstaking work. He said this. He said, we need to choose to struggle with something. Because we live in the culture of the quick and the easy, it's often made us impatient and lazy. So when you commit to something that takes work and you stick through to the end, it will develop you as much as you will develop it. i got to tell you, that almost sounds like something that Caleb would say. Because Caleb never took the easy road. He never chose the path of least resistance, the path of comfort and convenience. For Caleb, serving the Lord meant struggling with something, struggling from time to time, doing the hard things that need to be done. And if you and I, if we're going to be like Caleb, then I think that means we need to expect that there's going to be some hills to climb in our Christianity. We need to expect that God is going to call upon us from time to time to do some of that tough stuff that's going to require some courage on our part and definitely some persistence on our part. That means then, practically, that we need to stop looking for shortcuts in the kingdom of God. We need to stop expecting that somebody else is going to step forward and they're going to do what needs to be done around here. And that means as well, we need to stop treating the narrow way as if it is somehow the broad way. The broad way, well, that's the easy way. But the narrow way, it's designed to be tough. And it is going to be hard. And so, brother or sister, if your Christianity, if it is a cakewalk, if you do find that, yeah, being a Christian, yeah, this really isn't all that hard, this really is kind of easy, then you're doing it wrong. You need to go back. You need to recalibrate. You need to reassess what Christianity is all about because the road to heaven involves... It involves facing some challenges along the way. Can I maybe make at least just one direct application here before I leave this point? It is never, ever easy to talk to somebody about the gospel. It is never easy to invite someone to church or to have a Bible study. It is never easy to try and initiate a spiritual conversation with a person who is lost. That is tough to do, and in the climate in which we live today, that seems like that's getting tougher every single day. Talking to people about Jesus, talking to people about the Bible, that can be very, very difficult. But here's the kicker. It has to be done. God's mission that He has given us is to save lost souls. And that involves you and I sharing the good news, being those earthen vessels in which the gospel treasure is conveyed to people. We are charged with pointing people to the cross. And that is not easy. I realize that. And that does make us nervous. I get that. And it can be awkward and weird. I totally understand that. But just as Caleb gathering up his courage to go and to spy out the land of Canaan, a place where there were giants, just as that was essential, it was necessary, there was no question about that, so too is our mission and our charge to tell others about Jesus the Christ. We need to do the tough stuff regardless of the danger, 
regardless of the discomfort, regardless of the inconvenience that it may pose to our lives, because people who have a different spirit, well, that's just kind of what they do. They are willing to rise to those challenges. And one of those challenges, of course, is the challenge about Caleb and his life that we're probably the most familiar with. And that is, secondly, a willingness to be outnumbered in order to do what's right. Let's actually just read that account. Are you still in Numbers chapter 13? In Numbers chapter 13, when those 12 spies, when they all returned from Canaan, here's what we have saw, and now we're going to give our report. In verse 27, they say, yes, it is a great land. It's flowing with milk and honey. I mean, it's amazing. But then verse 28 happens. Verse 28, However, those ten spies say, However, the people who dwell in that land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they all dwell in the hill country. The Canaanites, they dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Do you see there? The summary of the ten spies is that yes, God did promise us a great land. And you know what? God was right. It is a great land. But we can't live there. We cannot go and live there. It's already occupied by nations who are bigger and faster and stronger than we are and we can't do this. Which kind of always makes me wonder, what exactly was plan B? I mean, what was the fallback plan? If we're not going into Canaan, if we're not going to live there, then where are we going to go? Where are we going to live? But Caleb, but Caleb, verse 30, quieted the people before Moses. Notice, it's not Joshua is the one initiating this. Caleb is the one who speaks and he says, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb says, What are you guys talking about? We can do this. We've got the Lord on our side. Come on, pack your things up. Let's go. Caleb is willing to stand up for God and to do what's right even when that means being considerably outnumbered. He's outnumbered 10 to 2. Now, I want you to notice that the reaction to Caleb's courageous stand is not, oh yes, way to go Caleb. Hey, good on you, buddy. Boy, we sure do appreciate you being willing to stand up here. We really respect your, your desire to stand up for the Lord and stand up for what you believe is right. Nope. That is not the reaction he is greeted with. Verse 31 continues on. Verse 31, Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. Verse 32, So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying that that land through which we have gone to spy it out, it is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it, they are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them, chapter 14, verse 1, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. The reaction of the people here was not positive. It was not supportive. It was not optimistic. No, it was the exact opposite of all those things. 
In fact, I said a second ago about well, what was plan B. Well, actually, there was some discussion about plan B. Keep reading verse 2. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the whole congregation, and they said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And in fact, they don't just ask that question kind of hypothetically. Verse 4, and they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The reaction of the people here, hundreds upon thousands of Israelites, was let's give up and let's go back to Egypt. But you watch Joshua and Caleb. What happens next? Verse 6, and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. And they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This land which we passed through to spy out, it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land. He will give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of this land, for they are bread for us. In other words, with God... We're going to eat them up. I think that's actually what one translation renders that as. We're going to eat them up, Caleb says. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That is powerful, isn't it? Standing up for the Lord when they are vastly outnumbered. You think about it. The ratio of the we can do this camp versus the we cannot do this camp that's a staggeringly lopsided ratio, isn't it? And so what boldness for Caleb and Joshua to speak up here. Yet I will have you notice once again that Caleb and Joshua, they are not applauded for what they say here. They are not celebrated for their courageous stand. No, verse 10 says, Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. I want to ask our young people. Young people, are you paying attention right here specifically? When you take a stand for what is right, when you take a stand for the Lord, more often than not, this is what you can expect. You will suffer for it. You will not be considered a national hero because you turned down that alcoholic beverage that was offered to you. You will not be lauded and celebrated and oh man, what a, what, a, what a great guy you are, a great girl you are because you refuse to smoke that joint. You will not be admired for your morals or your values or your stand to remain pure. No, most of the time what you can expect is right there in verse 10. And while it might not be a literal stoning, it will most certainly be things like ridicule and mockery and being ostracized, and being made fun of. In fact, if verse 10 did not end with that appearance of the Lord Himself, then the Caleb story might have ended right there. They might have stoned Him. But you know what? When you possess a different spirit like Caleb did, when you have that kind of an approach and an attitude and a spirit about you, then you're going to be willing to take that stand anyway. You're going to stand with the minority even if that does mean some painful consequences in the short term. And this is an important message, I think, for all of us. But I'm again, I'm emphasizing especially for the benefit of our young people. Because instead of me standing up here and preaching to you some kind of a false hope that all, 
if you'll just do what's right, everybody will admire you and they'll respect you. And if you'll just do what's right all the time, well then, well then everybody around you, they'll start doing right as well. I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you like that. Instead, I'm going to tell it to you like it is. Instead, what's going to happen is people are going to hate you. And they're going to cut you out of their social circle. And they might even try to slander you or hurt you in other ways. And you know what? That doesn't change anything. We stand for Jesus no matter what. We do what's right no matter what. We do not give in to the peer pressure. We are not intimidated by the vast majority. We do not compromise in order to fit in easier. Practically speaking, what that means is, is that means that we are going to be outnumbered on just a host of different issues in our day and time. We're going to be outnumbered when the subject of homosexuality and gay marriage comes up. We're going to be outnumbered when discussions turn to what about abortion and women's rights with their body. We're going to be outnumbered on the issues of gender roles. And as we take those unpopular stands on those issues, we will be called all kinds of things. We'll be called intolerant. We'll be called bigots. We'll be called judgmental. But just like Caleb, we're going to be standing in front of an entire nation who's essentially got stones in their hand and they're ready to throw them. I'm asking young people, are you ready for that? Have you been preparing yourself for that? Furthermore, older people... Are you ready for that? Have you prepared yourself for that? What I really love most about Caleb and Joshua here is that they don't hide their conviction. Sometimes that's just what we do. When we're standing in the face of the bloodthirsty, angry world in which we live, the easy thing to do is just kind of, well, I'll just kind of be quiet. You know, I'm not going to agree with them, but I'll just say nothing. Well, Caleb and Joshua don't just say nothing. They don't hide their convictions. Look at the end of verse 6 again. What they do? They tore their clothes. They tore their clothes to give a visual illustration that let everybody know that, hey, this is wrong what you're saying here. In fact, in verse 9, they say it in very pointed words. You're rebelling against the Lord. Caleb's not afraid. His deep faith in the Lord, it makes it all the way up from the deep recesses of his soul and it ends up coming off of his lips and through his mouth. And as he speaks of the Lord, and as he talks of the power of God, that stiffens his spine, and it gives him the ability to stand up even when pretty much everybody else is taking a step backward. You need that. I need that. That is the mark of someone who has a different spirit. Now, if it wasn't for the book of Joshua, uh, this actually would be pretty much all that we know about Caleb and about the things that he did. But if you will look with me in the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 14, we get this last little insight uh, about the life of Caleb. You know, that stuff that we read in Numbers, that's the stuff that we're probably the most familiar with. And those very much are kind of the defining moments in Caleb's life. But in the book of Joshua chapter 14... We are provided this kind of this little epilogue, this little footnote, if you will, as we finally are now at the land of promise. And it is now time to begin the division of the land. We're going to start divvying out the land to the people who are there who have made it to inherit and receive that land. I will tell you, 
This is my favorite thing about Caleb, this passage here. And I'm going to read it, and hopefully I won't get choked up because I usually do when I read it. In Numbers 14, beginning verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. said to Moses, you and me, I was 40 years old when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. I word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me, they made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as He said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. And I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Verse 13, Then Joshua blessed him. And he gave Hebron to Caleb the son of Jephunneh for an inheritance. And therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. It's kind of hard to miss it after reading that text. What the Bible is telling us, as it uses this expression three different times, just in this passage alone, is that when you have a different spirit, then what that means is, is that means you are willing to wholly follow the Lord for all of life. Caleb's entire life is marked by holy following. You know, I've often wondered whenever I read those verses if there would have been a real temptation to have some bitterness on Caleb's part. Because, yeah, of course, that faithless, grumbling Israelite generation, yeah, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years for what they did, but do you know who else had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years? Caleb did. He had to pay for their sins. He was faithful to the Lord, and yet he still had to struggle in the wilderness all of that time. And so he could, he could have whined about that. He could have been bitter to God about that. Well, well, why can't I just go on in? Let me and Joshua go on in. You know, why do I have to wait? Come on, this just isn't fair. But you don't get any of that out of Caleb. Instead, as Caleb comes to Joshua, 45 years later, he just simply states the facts. He just says, Joshua, you know, those people did wrong. and You and I, we did right. And I'm now ready to claim that inheritance that God has promised to me. I trusted God and I'm still trusting God. This has been my entire way of life. Caleb gives God credit for everything that has happened in his life. Good. And the blessings that have come from it. And he continues to serve Him. You know, sometimes sometimes we point to people like Daniel 
and Joseph or Timothy as being really, really good role models for young people to look up to, and those are good role models. But how about we start adding Caleb to this conversation? And of course, not just as a role model for young people, but maybe as well as a role model for people with a little bit of silver in their hair. You know, think about that. Think about, think about Caleb here in this age in his life. He's 85 years old as he comes to Joshua and makes this request. 85 years old and he's not retiring. He's not looking for a rocking chair. No, instead he's still looking for new mountains to climb. He's looking for new challenges to face. He's looking for new work to do. In fact, if you look across the page in chapter 15 of Joshua, in Joshua 15, Caleb leads his entire family to do that very same thing. Chapter 15 and verse 16, Caleb said, Whoever strikes kiriath Sefer and captures it, to him will I give Aksa my daughter as a wife. Caleb has devoted his life to serving the Lord. And that, of course, includes him helping his family and others to serve the Lord. In every facet of Caleb's life, he is devoting himself to serving God. From the time that he left Egyptian bondage, think about how excited he must have been when he was part of that big throng that got to leave Egypt and walk and pass through the Red Sea on dry ground and then have to go through all of that ordeal with the people grumbling, and then having to suffer through those 40 years in the wilderness. Think about it. He got right to the edge of the promised land. In fact, he got to go into the promised land and look around for a little while, and then it was taken away from him, snatched away from him because of the sins of others. Through all of that hardship, through all of that disappointment, Caleb never stopped serving God put God first in all of his decision making, trusted God even when it was hard, and he encouraged others to do the very same thing. You see what the Bible is showing us? What the Bible is showing us is that Caleb didn't just follow the Lord during the week of the Passover. He didn't just follow the Lord on the annual Day of Atonement. He didn't just follow the Lord one day a week when the Sabbath day rolled around. No, Caleb served God all the time. And the end result of that was God gave him his inheritance. If you and I, if we are going to be people who demonstrate a different spirit, then we need to realize that a lifetime, a lifetime of serving the Lord, it begins when? It begins right now. It begins with a day of serving the Lord, an hour of serving the Lord, a minute of serving the Lord, stitched all together piece by piece so that one day God will then give us our eternal inheritance that He's promised to His children. You know, I read the story of Caleb and I read that passage in Numbers chapter 14 and in verse 24. And man, I want to catch God's eye in the same way that Caleb did. I want him to notice me. I want him to look down from heaven and see my life and my conduct and what I'm all about. And I want God to say, my servant Josh, or you just put your own name in that blank, my servant has a different spirit. That can be said of each and every one of us And that is when we follow in the steps of Caleb and his good example. Would you bow with me? Let's go to God in prayer. Our dear gracious God, we 
come before you this evening so thankful to you for your word. We're thankful for the things that you have saw fit to record and leave for us in your Old Testament. We're thankful this evening most of all for the wonderful example of your servant Caleb. Father, we are challenged by him and by his manner of life. And we pray, Father, that we would be willing to rise to the challenges that you have placed before us, that we would not shirk away, that we would not allow fear or other kinds of outside obstacles to hinder us from serving you as we ought. We pray, Father, that we would have the courage to stand up, even when that's very hard to do, even when we are in the minority. Help us, Lord, to have the boldness of Caleb and those other faithful people of old. Help us, Lord, to serve you wholly and fully all the days of our lives. We want so very much, Father, to inherit that promised land that you have prepared for us. We pray that you would help us each day as we make that journey there. We thank you for Jesus that makes that possible. And it is in his name that we offer this prayer. And amen.